God, we thank you for the passage of Scripture that has been read to us, and we pray that you would guide us as we reflect upon those words, that we would have a clear understanding, not just of what it meant for 2,000 years ago, but what it means for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about Jesus Christ, what is it that comes to mind? Uh, For many, I think that they would think of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And rightfully so, those are very important things. But one of the reasons why we have been doing this series on the Gospel of Luke is to show you that a whole bunch of things happened before then. That what happened before the cross is important, that we learn from Jesus' teachings, we learn from his miracles, and so all of those things are important. But at the same time, we do need to acknowledge that the cross and the resurrection are extremely important. When we look at Paul's letters, you'll find all kinds of references to the cross, all kinds of references to the resurrection, but no reference to the miracles, and very few to the teachings of Jesus. So these things are very important. To some people, they would consider this to be the core of the gospel. The passage that we're coming to here in Luke is now the beginning of what's called the passion narrative. Now, uh, today when we use the word passion, uh, we think of uh, having strong feelings about something, something that makes you excited. But originally, passion was a reference to suffering. So the word uh, compassion that we use uh, means to suffer with. And so what we are looking at, starting at this chapter, is the beginning of the story of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And this is when things begin to really speed up in terms of the story of Jesus. A lot of things has been a lot of things have been happening in the background and now things are really moving forward. And so we see throughout the gospels that Jesus's intention had always been to make his way to Jerusalem and that he was going to die in Jerusalem. But how is that going to happen? Uh, was this going to be a completely conflict-free experience? Was this just going to be a, a, a peaceful journey to Jerusalem where he would uh, politely walk up to a Roman centurion and say, excuse me, sir, but uh, I need to die for the sins of humanity. Would you mind crucifying me uh, so that I can fulfill my mission? Uh, that's not what happens. Things are a whole lot more complicated than that. There are other forces at work that lead Jesus to go to the cross. Of course, it all happens within the sovereignty of God. It all happens within the plan that God has for salvation. But there are other parties involved. And what we're going to look at, and we're going to see that there are three parties that are working together, whether they know it or not, towards the crucifixion of Jesus. And the first one we're going to look at is that of Satan. Now, I have to say, I do not preach on Satan very often. And in fact, a lot of people don't even like to hear about Satan. And many Christians today actually don't even believe that there is a uh, personal Satan. And one of the reasons why I think some people are hesitant to even talk about it or to, to think about it is that people... Uh, go to extremes when it comes to Satan. Uh, they, uh, they might see Satan as being this uh, horned and hoofed 
a figure in red with a pitchfork, a figure that just appears out of a fairy tale. That's probably what a lot of people think of. It just seems so unrealistic for us to think about a figure like that. And so some people reject that. Uh, Then there are other people who uh, see Satan as being involved in absolutely everything. Anything that goes wrong is because Satan has been involved in there. If you're walking uh, in the middle of the night and it's, it's pitch black in your house and you step with your bare feet on a piece of Lego, Satan put it there. Now, if you've ever done that, it actually feels pretty satanic at the time. But maybe, just maybe, it was one of your kids or grandkids that left the piece of Lego there and not Satan. It is, it it is possible. So, uh, we, we, uh, might go to one of those extremes and, and to see Satan, uh, behind absolutely everything. And, and that's not necessarily the case. But what we find in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is this reference to this uh, evil figure, this Satan, this devil. And those are actually not names, they are titles. So uh, Satan is just a Hebrew word for accuser, and uh, devil simply means slanderer. Those are just titles, descriptions of what this figure does, not necessarily who it is. And if we are tempted to uh, put aside this figure as being unimportant to the story of Jesus, we have to look back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The very first thing that happens after his baptism is he goes out into the wilderness and he is tempted by the devil. That is the beginning of his ministry, a time of temptation where there are three temptations and Jesus is victorious in that way. And we're told specifically in the Gospel of Luke that the devil left him for an opportune time. So keep that in mind, that the devil left him for an opportune time. Uh, Throughout the stories of the Gospels, we see conflicts uh, with Jesus and these uh, evil spirits, unclean spirits, and they seem to recognize, even before the disciples, uh, these unclean spirits recognize who Jesus is. They are aware of something on the spiritual realm that the humans are not aware of. Well, as I said, the devil left for an opportune time, and it seems as if that opportune time is now, because we're told uh, in this passage here that Satan uh, entered into Judas. And we're going to look at what that means in, in a little bit. But right now, just be aware that Satan is involved in this in some way, some way. So why was Satan involved? Why does Satan care about this? Well, Satan knows that Jesus has come into the world, that he is both God and human, that he is coming to reconcile humanity to God, he is coming to bring salvation, forgiveness, all of these things. Now remember what the role of Satan is. He is the accuser, to accuse humanity, to say that humanity is useless, it has no place in God's family, and Jesus is coming to undo that, to destroy those accusations, to destroy that slander, and to bring people back to God. And so that is not what Satan wants. Now, ironically, uh, what Satan does in leading up to the death of Jesus is what exactly has to take place for that to happen. And so Satan, in a way, defeats himself. Now, what does this mean for us? For me, when I look at this passage and I look at other passages like this, even though I don't understand everything uh, about the spiritual realm, that I don't understand everything about the powers of evil or anything like that, I am aware at times that there is uh, a spiritual 
level of what is taking place. That there are things that we see uh, around us that we can understand, that we can uh, experience with our senses, and then there are times where there's an oppression, that when there's uh, just seems to be a dark presence that seems to bring us down, that seems to take us away from God or to encourage us to move away from God, to forget the things that God wants. And that is there. There is a reason why prayer is important. It's not just to get things from God, but it's an acknowledgement that there is a, a spiritual reality around us. And this pushes us to keep praying. Again, we don't have to have all the details of how all of these things work. Some people have tried to work out all the rules. I don't think that's what we need to do. What we need to do is to realize that there is something spiritual going on. Paul, in his letters, he actually tells people to be aware when you're getting into conflict with another person, it's not just about interpersonal conflict. That there actually is a spiritual presence that is trying to drive a wedge within the church to try to drive followers of Jesus away from each other, to destroy our unity, and that we need to be aware of that, that that's where the enemy is, not the person sitting in the pew with us. And so we have to be aware of these things, and we need to be praying accordingly. Now, I do believe that there is a, a, a Satan. I believe that there is a, a, an evil spiritual presence. But most of the evil that happens in our world is not directly by evil spirits. It's not directly Satan doing things. It's by good old-fashioned uh, blood and flesh humans who are doing these things. And that brings us to our, our second part of who is involved in this unholy alliance. And we're told that there are uh, there's a conflict. There's been a conflict throughout the Gospels uh, with the religious leaders, various religious leaders. And we see that this has been happening throughout. And uh, at this particular time in our story, they are seeking to put a stop to Jesus. Now, there's something that I need to be uh, making very, very clear. Because some people have looked at passages like this and have used it to create an anti-Semitic attitude, to look and say, look it, it's the Jewish people who are opposing Jesus, and if we are followers of Jesus, we should oppose the Jews, because look what they did. But that is not what this is saying at all. Uh, first of all, we have to be aware uh, that Jesus was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish, and in fact, even in this passage here, we see that the uh, the leaders, the the priests and the scribes, they are concerned about how they're going to go about this because they're afraid of the crowd. And who is that crowd? That crowd is a crowd of Jewish people. And they are afraid that if they do things wrong, that there's going to be a problem with those Jewish people who are uh, watching, that uh, maybe they will come to the aid of Jesus, maybe they will cause some problems. And so it is not the Jewish people that are the problem at all. It's a, it's a certain group of religious leaders that are the problems. In fact, if you continue to read through, you see it's not even all of the priests and scribes. It's not all of the religious leaders. Some of them are become followers of Jesus as well. And uh, even when they're not followers of Jesus, they're not necessarily opposing Jesus. So these are some of the things that we have to be aware of. But these these priests and scribes, why are they doing this? Because if you look at it, uh, they believe in the same Jewish God. Uh, they read the same Hebrew scriptures. They believe it's important to be obedient to God. So shouldn't they all be on the same team? What, what is going on here? 
Well, what's going on is that, on one hand, there's some jealousy going on. Jesus has a connection with the people in a way that the priests and the scribes and some of the other leaders are just not getting. That uh, they are not able to express the truth of God in such a way. They're not able to connect on an emotional level in the same way. They're not even willing to sit down at the table and to spend time in fellowship with some of these Jewish people. Uh, and so they're, they're feeling jealousy. They're, they're, they're feeling like their authority, their influence is slipping away from them. So that's one of the things that's going on. But here, when it comes to uh, who is responsible for seeking the death of Jesus, we see the priests are very much involved. And for those priests, at this particular time in Jewish history, they were collaborating with the Romans. They were willing to do whatever it took to keep their power. And that meant they would work closely with the Romans. In fact, uh, the high priest was not chosen by Jewish people. It wasn't chosen by the Sanhedrin. It wasn't chosen by Jewish leaders. The high priest, the Jewish high priest, was chosen by the Romans. Uh, The priests were willing to give that power over to the Romans as long as they could continue to have some influence and to be able to do these things. And so they were afraid, with Jesus preaching this hard-hitting message of radical obedience, that if people followed that 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 was going to cause a rift between them and the Romans, that the Romans are going to get upset, they're going to start withdrawing some of the the authority and power that they are sharing, and it's going to be a problem. So they, they want to put a stop to this. And so they seek to bring... Uh, an end to Jesus, and we're going to see how they do that through through Judas. What we can see from this, though, and what we need to learn from this, is that there are human forces that oppose the spreading of the kingdom. And those human forces can look in different ways. And so we can see examples around the world where there's the persecuted church, where there is a, a secular government who is seeking to uh, limit the freedoms of followers of Jesus. That happens. But we also see that there are religious people who are opposing the spreading of the kingdom. We can even look to Christian history, church history, where uh, it was uh, church people who tried to prevent the translation of the Bible into languages that people could understand. That there were um, church leaders who were persecuting other followers of Jesus for doing things in a way that they didn't agree with. And so there are human forces out there. There are outside forces, whether uh, religious or non-religious, who are at work. And we need to be aware that that opposition exists. And this brings us to our third one. The one that we probably identify most with the plot against Jesus. And that is Judas. In some ways, this is the most difficult one. Uh, The Judas is the worst of all of them. So you would expect that Satan would oppose Jesus. There's no big surprise there. You're not shocked at all. You can understand logically how some of the religious leaders might be getting jealous. But Judas was a disciple chosen by Jesus. Judas was a friend of Jesus. Uh, He was very close to him. And so for Judas to do this just seems unbelievable. How could he possibly have done this? Well, we're told that Satan entered into Judas. Now, I do not think that Satan possessed Judas in the sense of, of taking control over his body and making him do something that he wouldn't normally have done. 
I suspect that really what is being said here is Satan is giving him that nudge, is pushing him to do something that was already within him. Uh, we're, we're told that uh, Judas had some issues. He had issues with greed, that he had been stealing from the purse uh, there, that they had uh, kept their financial resources in. And so there were already problems with Judas. And I think that, that Satan pushed him. He gave him that nudge to do this. But why was it that Judas betrayed Jesus? Have you ever wondered about that? How could that happen? Now, uh, I asked uh, some people about that, and for some people, they responded, well, because that was God's plan for Judas to do that. Well, yes, okay, that's fine. On one level, that was God's plan. But again, I don't think, uh, in the same way that I don't think Satan took over Judas to make him do that, I don't think God took over Judas to make him do that, just because that's what had to happen to get Jesus to the cross. Uh, the most common reason seems to be greed. Uh, he gets money from the scribes and the priests to do this, and so that is part of it. But that might not be the whole story. Uh, some people have suggested that the Judas really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and how could he not, having seen the miracles and all the other things that happened? But maybe disagreed with how Jesus was going about his ministry, that he was doing it in this peaceful way. And Judas wanted Jesus to use his power against the Romans and to be more forceful. And maybe he thought if he got Jesus arrested, uh, Jesus would be forced to use those powers in such a way. Some people have thought about that. We don't know. We don't know the story. All we know is that uh, it happened, and we're, we will eventually get to how that, that actually takes place. Now, what does that mean for us? Uh, Yes, on one hand, we can point our fingers at at Judas and and shake our heads and say, you know, what a terrible person. How how could you have done that? But in another way, uh, any one of us could do that. Maybe not to the same extent, but any of us could betray Jesus in some way. We find in the Gospels that Peter, uh, he ends up um, well, first of all, he tries to tempt Jesus to avoid the cross, and, and Jesus gets so upset with him, he says, get behind me, Satan. He already there is, is identifying some kind of Satan, satanic influence in uh, Peter trying to tempt him in that way. But we eventually see that uh, Peter denies Jesus three times. Like, that is really, really bad. That is a horrible thing to do. And throughout history, there have been people who have betrayed Jesus. Many of us, I am sure, have done it in small ways. And this is a a challenge for us, that when we're looking at those who oppose the kingdom, it's not always those on the outside. Sometimes we are the ones who are opposing the kingdom, and we need to be aware of those forces on the inside of us. Uh, One of my uh, favorite uh, comic book movies of recent times uh, has a line where one of the characters says, we're in the end game now. And in many ways, that's what this passage is about here. Uh, this is the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is when all the forces are coming together. Uh, the pieces are being put in place. Uh, the plotters are working to make sure that Jesus comes to an earthly end. And we see that there are different forces at work. That Satan seems to be seeking this to happen. The priests and the scribes, they want an end to this ministry. Uh, Judas is willing to betray his master for some silver. All of these things are happening. And yes, it is about history. It's about how Jesus got to the cross. 
but it's also a reminder of what happens today. As we seek to serve God in this world, there are spiritual forces that oppose the spreading of the kingdom. There are human forces that uh, try to suppress the spreading of the kingdom. And of course, there are our own weaknesses within each one of us that seek to put a stop to that. We need to be aware of these things, we need to pray against them, and we need to remain faithful as much as we are able. Let us pray. God, this is a difficult passage for us to look at as we see Jesus, who has been healing the sick, loving the poor, teaching the truth, and yet forces are at work to put a stop to it. God, we thank you that you redeemed all of that by using the cross as the means of our salvation. God, as we think about our own serving you here in this world, help us to be aware of the spiritual and human powers that are at work. And most of all, help us to be aware of our own weaknesses on the inside, the weaknesses that would seek to make us betray Jesus even in the smallest of ways. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.